This is Who's This Podcast For? I'm your host, Nate Smart. Who's this podcast for? Well, today, it's for Letterbox. Just get that out the way. I have a few things written down I want to talk about. Um, this is primarily a movie podcast, but we're going to touch on a lot of different things throughout the time. But you'll come to know this as a movie podcast because that's what it is, <laughs> for the most part. That's my favorite. That's the thing I like to talk about the most, so that's what we'll talk about the most today. We'll start with my Letterbox Top 4. Some of my recent watches that I've been watching lately, just kind of get a sense of my, mu- of my music, my film overall kind of aesthetic and the things I like the most. We'll move on to most anticipated movies for the rest of 2022 and some that don't really have a release date, don't know when they're coming out, but in the relatively near future in maybe a year or two. Then... Might talk about some of the movies that can, where I'll maybe I'll discuss my fave film festivals, the ones I want to go to the most, considering I haven't been to one yet, of all the big ones. And then after that, if there's any time left, we'll talk a little bit of sports, maybe some NFL, some NBA. The NBA playoffs are happening right now. I don't like to date these podcasts. At least I don't think that's what I'm going to want to do moving forward. I'm going to want to keep it not so much current events, because current events will become past events. Maybe just talking about things that you can continue to talk about. I can continue to talk about movies even after they come out, like you're going to see today. We're going to talk about some older stuff that's been out one, like, 50 years. And then some, like, 13 years, maybe, you know. Movies can kind of age with you. Sports, especially playoff basketball, playoff football. I guess once it's over, it's kind of over. But not really. You can go back and talk about, like, old Super Bowls and stuff like that. But I do think for the most part, once sports end, you can kind of date your podcast on things like individual playoff games and stuff like that. And I kind of don't want to do that, so we'll figure it out. But this is who this podcast for. Again, today, this podcast is for Letterboxd. Let's get started. Now, if you don't know what Letterboxd is, it's basically an app where movie lovers go and kind of converse about movies. And you can leave reviews on movies and star ratings and write your little essays and things of that nature. As a matter of fact, if I go to the app store and type in Letterbox, the description is says includes the type of streaming availability for each service in the where to watch section. I'm reading what's new. Basically says the social app for film lovers. That's what it is. Letterbox is the social app for film lovers. You can browse top rated, popular lists, Log and rate films as you watch them to create a diary of your viewing history. You can use Letterboxd to track films you've watched and those you want to watch. Add a review, follow friends, make lists, where to watch, all that kind of stuff. I've been on there for about, eh, I don't know, maybe a little bit over a year. I'm late to the party. But I do find myself liking it quite a bit. You know, it's a it's a pretty good place. to. Yeah, I will say it. I've grown this habit through Letterboxd. As soon as I leave a movie, I want to put a rating down. And that's not good because you need time to sit with movies. You might not see it again for a while, especially if it didn't like move you. You know, I, last year I went and saw Licorice Pizza, a movie by Paul Thomas Anderson, who I will talk about more in this podcast as as time progresses. Maybe not this one, but at some point because he's one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, that was his most recent uh, movie, Licorice Pizza, came out late last year. Saw that twice in the span of like three days because I loved it that much. My favorite movie of last year, so I had to go see it again. But, um, you know, sometimes you don't get a chance to go back and see a movie and you don't want to put a rating down because your mind can change. I know 
after you see a movie and then a few days later, you might watch it again and be like, eh, it's not as good as I thought or it's better than I thought. You just never know. So Letterboxd has given me that kind of a bad habit where immediately after, during the credits, you know, I'm sitting there with my wife and <laughs> and I'm like um, already on Letterboxd trying to figure out a rating. And she's looking over like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just scrolling through, seeing what people said about it. I don't want to formulate my opinion based on what other people say. That's not why I'm on there. I just, it's that instant gratification thing. You need to put down a rating immediately, even uh, 30 seconds after you watched it. So I got to break that. Habit. But we're going to start with Letterboxd. Uh, we're going to be there for the most of today's podcast in their most anticipated section. But first, I want to talk about my favorites. Letterboxd, you have a recent activity part where you log all of the movies you've been watching, and then a favorite section where you have four movies, and they kind of represent your favorites or kind of represent you in the film world. I think this is a good barometer for what I like. I'll just talk about these off the cuff. Um, nothing written down, because I've seen them all multiple times. So I think I have enough to say about them. But, you know, you get in front of a camera, you can kind of go, for lack of a better word, limp, uh, in terms of what you want to say and, how much you want to say you think you have so much to say do you realize you don't so don't want to get into that here but that is a possibility okay so starting with the first one on my favorites list on letterbox remember it's four of them no country for old men 2007 directed by joel and ethan cohen i'll read you the little description there are no clean getaways Llewellyn moss stumbles upon dead bodies two million dollars and a horde of heroin in a texas desert but methodical killer Anton Chigurh comes looking for it with local sheriff Ed Tom Bell hot on his trail. The role of prey and predator blur as the violent pursuit of money and justice collide. Now, this is a very similar movie for me. Very important movie. Um, I didn't watch it in 2007. I was young. If you don't know, I'm like, I'll be 26 this year. Born in 1996. So I definitely missed out on the section or the time period that this movie came out in 2007 was when this came out. Um, and I saw it maybe two years ago, watched this movie. And I said, wow, what efficient filmmaking. Just like the movie is 122 minutes long. That's two hours and two minutes. And it flies by the pacing, the story, all of that. I won't go too deep into the filmmaking aspects and all of that just yet, but just with the movie, it, it's incredibly thrilling, incredibly fun, and incredibly well-made. While also having themes and messages and having no music either. You know, you don't hear a lot of movies, especially modern movies with no music or little to no music. But it has no soundtrack. It has no score. It's just the ambient sound of the Texas desert is the backdrop. And movie about a serial killer, one of the best roles ever with Anton Sugar played by Javier Bardem. Um, he did amazing. Llewellyn Moss played by, um, I think I'm losing his name. I can't even think about it. Hold on a second. Josh Brolin and Ed Tom Bell played by Tommy Lee Jones. Those are the three standouts. Just an amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. No Country for Old Men. It's probably my favorite movie of all time. At least it's up there. It's definitely probably my top 10, which I would do at some point. Once I really hammer it out and decide, because that's that that's a lot, right? It's a lot of movies to take into account. But 
absolutely wonderful movie. Moves very well, flies by, but is also methodical and well-paced and efficient, and the script is great, and the Corn Brothers are amazing, and that that novel is amazing, I'm sure, by Cormac McCarthy. I have not read it, but, you know, eventually, hopefully, one day. But I am a movie-over-the-book type of person, so, you know, I, I really won't, uh, I won't be in a rush to read it, but I have the movie so I can watch it always. One of the best movies of all time. I think it's their best movie. I know some will say Fargo. Some will say Miller's Crossing. Some will say The Big Lebowski. Some would say, um, what's that movie? I'm losing it again. But there are a lot of movies by the Coen that a lot of people would say is their best. You don't hear a lot of people say that, um, you don't hear a lot of people say that No Country for Old Men is their favorite. Even though I think it's a lot of people consider it, you know, up there. You could say True Grit. I know a lot of people wouldn't, but it's up there. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Barton Fink is really good. You know, Blood Simple, I'm not that big of a fan of, but that was our first movie. And Sally Welland Davis and a Serious Man, 2013 to 2009, respectively, is probably what people would say is their best. But, you know, I'm more of a No Country for Old Men fan. And I like uh, Inside Llewellyn. Lewin Davis. I need to watch it again. But that's my first one. No Country for Old Men. Amazing flick. Going to the second one. Back to 1957. And this is interesting because this is 12 Angry Men, directed by Sidney Lumet, who I'm reading a book on, by the way, which is fascinating. It's called Making Movies. Had to go look up the title real quick. And it's an absolute um, wonderful book so far about his entire process how he makes movies, um, everything that goes into it, his kind of way, because every filmmaker has their own distinct style. Every filmmaker has their own way of doing things and his, and it's very fascinating. And 12 Angry Men, I'll read it for you. Life is in their hands. Death is on their minds. The defense and the prosecution have rested and the jury is filing into the jury room to decide if a young Spanish American is guilty or innocent of murdering his father, but begins as, as an open and shut case soon becomes a mini drama of each of the jurors prejudices and preconceptions about the trial, the accused and each other. A fascinating movie, which was a TV play, I think, which was then turned into a movie by Sidney Lumet, who has made such movies as Dog Day Afternoon and Serpico and Network. And, you know, he, he's well renowned. I do think this is probably his most renowned work of 12 Angry Men. In a movie, I just I absolutely love. I watched it not too long ago, I want to say. It couldn't have been more than, it couldn't have been over a year ago I watched it. And what I remember is, again, like No Country, how this movie moves. You think a a movie about a courtroom and a bunch of people talking about a case, you know, like, well, that sounds like a law and order thing. Well, that's what a lot of people would think, I would imagine. But it's so much more than that. Um, This movie really goes into each man's perspective on life. And it teaches a great way to write characters, not just and and having backstory for characters, but not just like what they've been through, but what they've been through and how it shaped who they are. I remember a great example on this YouTube video I saw where he says, when you're writing a character, you want to detail like, let's say, a war veteran coming home. You say, well, he walks with a cane and, you know, he has an eye patch and he lost a leg. Well, that's, that's not really telling us about the character. It's telling us his description. When you say he's, you see a guy walking down the street with the cane with no leg, 
and then a car drives by and it makes a loud noise because it's like a, a, a you know a big truck or whatever a 18 wheeler and he stops and shudders and has to stand there for a moment to compose himself before he then snaps out of whatever he was in and continues to walking that's telling us so more about his mental state than just telling us that he was a war veteran because it's telling us what war did we saw without his leg we know what happened probably he probably lost it in war but the shivering when just a car drives by tells us he probably has ptsd he's probably seen a lot heard a lot of loud explosions probably bombs probably how i lost his leg in the first place and he's been damaged from it so description of a character is more than just how they look and where they're from it's what that area did to them and each person in 12 anger man brings their own biases their own prejudices prejudices and their own conceptions and misconceptions into this courtroom where you have one juror who's all about the facts he's all about the facts and he won't let any emotion get into the case and maybe that gives him a blind spot because he's maybe able to not look at humans as emotional creatures which is what they are he sees them as you know um factual creatures when most humans are not factual they're led and moved by their emotions and that's a part of the case and that's why he has a blind spot you have the manager played by um henry fond i believe and he's just a righteous man he believes in humanity so he wants to give everybody a chance so when all of the i won't spoil it but it's been out like 50 years you you, you know you can go find a 12 anger man go find it but he's the first one to say not guilty because he just wants to give him a chance you have the one who is pretty much i would say pretty much he is a racist he believes that these people as he calls them you know um this is what they do this is how they're wired they're wild animals and everybody eventually turns on him then you have jura i think number 10 i might be number four i'm not sure don't get me wrong on that but he's upset and wants to not guilty but because he's not racist or anything like that but because of his relationship with his son and that he brings that into this case and it bleeds over and so he's obviously impaired in terms of emotionally because he has his own thing going on with his son so he can't see this little boy in a favorable light because he can't see any little boy in a favorable light because he's so upset with his own son and their problems and then, then you got all the other characters and their backgrounds and how they see this because of who they are as people and it's just a rousing movie of amazingly written movie maybe one of the best written movies of all time i think that's fair to say um i wonder who it's written by i can tell you really quick reginald rose wrote it like i said directed by sydney lamette henry fonda the lead um just wonderful just a wonderful movie in a room it's only like two locations three locations at the most one location takes up the entirety of it and he tells a story with them being there all day with the different lenses and the different lighting and the different camera angles wonderful movie 97 minutes long it's in and out quick that's like an hour and a half i recommend 12 angry men to anybody um next one on my letterbox top four favorite is alien 1979 ridley scott in space no one can hear you scream during its return to the earth commercial spaceship nostromo intercepts a distress signal from a distant planet when a three-member team of the crew discovers a chamber containing thousands of eggs on the planet a creature inside one of the eggs attacks and explore the entire crew is unaware of the impending nightmare set to descend upon them when the them when the alien parasite planted inside its unfortunate host is birthed i'm sure all of you know alien you have to know alien it's a it's a horror classic and it's not even that scary but it's 
terrifying. I imagine watching it back in 1979, what that would mean and how it was perceived. Just like watching The Exorcist back in the 70s when it came out, Halloween when it came out, Nightmare on Elm Street when it came out, like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all of these very important, prominent horror movies, we see them in the lens of 2022, where we've seen any and everything on TV. But how did those people see these movies? It had to have been... Uh, very jarring and very interesting considering what horror movies were back then. Not that they weren't around because they've been around since the 30s and 20s and all of that with Dracula and Nosferatu and Frankenstein and all of that, werewolf, all of that. But it was different in the late 70s and early 80s and the uh, mid-70s. And Alien is just tense, brooding, atmospheric uh, restraint for the sake of restraint when they don't give you everything, but they give you just enough to be scared. And that's all you need in a horror movie is not too much because it can devalue it. Less is more. But just enough to say that is terrifying. And Alien does that. I don't know what I need to say about it. Really, Scott's masterpiece, um, Aliens, the second one, is amazing as well. Absolutely wonderful. I don't think it's as good as Alien, but it's close because they're both basically perfect movies. But Alien, man, talk about horror. That was It was when I saw this a few years ago. I was like, man, um, they don't make horror movies like that anymore. Horror movies today kind of revel and relish in the, in the um, what's the word to use? I guess in the uh, grotesqueness of it all. Not to say every movie is a bloody, gory fest. Every horror movie is, for that matter. But just that they don't really have restraint like this movie. And it's okay. Because that's why this movie stands out and stands above so well. Because, you know, it's doing something that nobody has done since, but a lot of people have tried. At really atmospheric, like I said, moving around the Nostromo, um, Sigourney Weaver. As good a horror protagonist as any we have showing, you know, that women can be in horror movies too and at the helm and lead it. And it doesn't have to be about her being a woman. It's just about her being in the situation when nobody else is and taking and just you know doing what she has to do to get out but a great cast with john hurt and veronica cartwright harry dean stratton um like i said ridley scott directed um ripley's one of the most famous characters ever especially in horror and that franchise would go on to other highs like like i said with aliens but then some lows and you know, some mixed stuff with Prometheus that a lot of people, I guess, love. I don't, but, you know, it is what it is. I think Alien is the standard bearer, just like Terminator, Terminator 2. You're never going to get back to those heights. But Alien, perfect horror movie. Seek it out if you have not yet. Um, very seminal to me. Very important. And the last on my letterbox top four is Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, 1963. A picture that goes beyond what men think about because no man ever thought about it in quite this way. We Don't Unsell Me, a film director, finds himself creatively barren at the peak of his career, urged by his doctors to rest. Now, Semi heads for a luxurious resort, but a sorry group gathers his producer, staff, actors, wife, mistress, and relatives, each one begging him to get on with the show. and retreat from that dependency, he fantasizes about women and childs of dreamhood. This movie's on here because Fellini is a goat. One of the best of all time, just based on this movie. I haven't seen much of his other stuff like uh, La Dolce Vita 
or Eva Taluni or Lestrada or Rome or Amacord, et cetera, et cetera. But eight and a half, most considers his best, either that or La Dolce Vita. This movie showed me what movies can be. This is when I found myself being like, okay, movies are not just uh, entertainment. This movie is obviously entertaining. I would never say it isn't because it is, but this movie does so much more in a cinematic language type of way and everything that it's trying to do and convey and going into the dreams and the mind of him and his desires and his wants and his regrets in such a way where it's not telling you anything. You're just seeing it. You have to come up with answers on your own. It totally took me to a different place in cinema where I was like, wow, I didn't even know you could do this. And I think that's so important. I watched this again, like maybe a year and a half ago, maybe a year and some change ago. And I was just blown away. I could not believe what this movie was. I had heard about it. I didn't know it was like this. And surreal movies kind of take off for me. Um, so now anytime I watch a movie that's even slightly weird, um, I'm into it. I, it. It totally opened my mind to what movies could be. It totally changed my experience to what movies are. You should just think that, that they were told one way. And I bet for a lot of people that is the case, but they're not. They can be told in so many different ways. Um, I think about Woody Allen, who was very influenced by Fellini. Um, and he made a movie that was kind of like his eight and a half, um, if I can remember the name of it. And I watched the movie and I said, man, that does remind me of eight and a half. And I can tell, I, I can see the influence called Stardust Memories by Woody Allen. I know he's not a popular figure, but still. Absolutely love this movie because it was his version of Eight and a Half. He made it 23 years later, but it was black and white, and you could tell the influence immediately. It was about a director the same way Eight and a Half was. You go watch that too. Stardust Memories is amazing. But Eight and a Half, one of the most important movies of my life, opened up a whole new world of cinema to me. The European cinema that kind of went different places, were telling different stories in a different way instead of the conventional Hollywood way. Instead of the conventional three-act structure way. And um, absolutely love it. And it's not boring. It's not hard to watch. It's absolutely funny. It's well-made. And Federico Fellini is amazing. And I definitely have to dig into his stuff more. And I certainly want to. But yeah, that's my letterbox top four. And real quick, I'll give you some recent activity. Some stuff I've been watching that I logged. Recently, me and my friends and my brother watch The Color of Money. This is Martin Scorsese's 1986. It's kind of like a loose sequel, or actually a real sequel to The Hustler. Um, stars Paul Newman, a young Tom Cruise, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, John Turturro, uh, Ford, Forrest Whitaker gets a cameo in it. Um, this thing is fun. This thing moves. This thing has heart and the camera and the charisma. Also, it's well written. It's not sacrificing anything. Written by Richard Price and uh, Walter Tevis. And this thing is just. Um, this thing is absolutely. This thing is absolutely wonderful. Um, Swan of Scorsese's more famous works. To where um, 
in the 80s, you know, his stuff wasn't, I guess, as critically acclaimed. I'm sorry if you hear that stuff in the back. That's them cutting grass and stuff, and it's distracting me. But um, it obviously wasn't as critically acclaimed as this stuff in the 70s or maybe the 90s. It's just gangster films like Goodfellas and Casino and, um, you know, Taxi Driver, stuff like that. I think the 80s is Scorsese's, like, most prominent period. That and maybe the 2010s with stuff like Wolf of Wall Street and Silence and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And he has a movie coming out this year we might talk a little bit about later. But um, Scorsese's work here in The Color of Money, the camera just moving around. They call it a Hollywood movie because it was his, it was one of the few times he did a movie for a check. He just needed money. But I think he took that material and raised it so much with Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. You got two superstars. Tom Cruise well on his way. Paul Newman already established. And everything works in this movie. And it's just so much fun to watch. And uh, I gave it a five stars on Letterboxd. I absolutely loved it. Like a lot of his 80s stuff, like After Hours and Raging Bull, which I think is his best work. Um, I don't I don't know if the, um, if the King of Comedy came out in the 80s. I think it did. I have not seen it yet, though. They can't. Yeah, nineteen eighty-two. Haven't seen that one yet, but the, everybody said that one's great. His eighties and uh, what was it the? I don't think it was the Passion of the Christ. I don't want to get the name wrong because that'd be rough. Um, the nineteen eighties. He had the Last Temptation of Christ, which is another one that people speak about. I, I love Cape Fear. That was nineteen ninety-one. It wasn't in the eighties, but I just love that movie. Um, but yeah, his, his eighties was full of great stuff, man. It just seemed like he was having so much fun, even though he probably wasn't in terms of his real life. But, um, if you know the stories, you know, but it just seemed like he was having great fun, but, um, absolutely, absolutely love the color of money. Another one was Vortex by Gaspar Noe. Um, I think this movie came out, it says in 2021, but there's been some word, whether it was 2020 or whatever, you know. Um, different time and different place. A movie comes out. A movie could premiere at a movie festival in a year ago, and then you won't see it until the year later. And then they'll say it was that year movie, but you saw it the year later. So that's always difficult. But Vortex, um, by Gaspar Noah, he's a very eccentric, idiosyncratic filmmaker who makes stuff like Enter the Void and Climax. Neither of which I've seen, but this is my first. Gaspar Noe work. Absolutely stunning movie. I saw it in the theater. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was like, how many of us? It might have been like four of us in there. No, I think it was just three. It was us two and one other person. Um, movie about aging, memory, time, death. Gaspar does this very interesting, unique thing with this, uh, with his, with his direction. And I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I thought it was very interesting um, how he did this all the way to the end. He used it all the way to the end. And I was like, man, that's what a way to keep somebody engaged on a, what is what would be considered by most if they saw it a relatively slow movie. But I think he does so much to to keep it interesting with this decision and just how he tells the story. I found myself engaged all the way throughout and I really enjoyed it and made me really want to go back and watch some of his other stuff. So good on that. I checked it out for you. It's called Vortex. Um, real quick, The Rental. We watched, me and my friends and my brother, the other week. Um, I think it's on Netflix. I think I am right about that. 
about two couples going to Oceanside getaway and, and things kind of break down. I don't want to spoil anything for you. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. It feels like a lot of indie movies to me, which I'm slowly starting to uh, not get sick of, but just start to get annoyed with a certain aesthetic, a certain feel that indie movies have. And I'm just like, eh, okay, I feel you. Um, but I did like it. You know, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was interesting. And then and in the end, it's very fun and kind of scary too. So the rental on Netflix, only 88 minutes long. I'm going to knock that out real quick. And then the last of the recently was M, 1931. Um, directed by Fritz Lang. I guess I should say all, all the directors. The rental was directed by Dave Franco, James Franco's brother. And M was directed by Fritz Lang. It's a German movie in 1931. What you need to know about this classic is that it's it's the standalone. It's the movie that made all the other movies. It's the father. The rest of them is the son of um your traditional procedural movie about people finding a killer people dealing with murders people coming to a conclusion through clues and evidence and uh, analysis and finding you know crime scenes and going through all those to track down a serial killer um but then at the end it switches it and you feel sympathetic for the serial killer or at least that's what the movie is attempting for you to do to find out who's actually the killer here is everybody at fault is it a system thing very influential movie very groundbreaking movie it's a 1931 movie it's basically a silent film there is some dialogue but not a lot um a lot of it is silent so that's a hurdle to jump over but i'm telling you it's worth it if you go back and watch this on hbo max right now m 1931 by director fritz lang powerful movie uh moves pretty well for a silent film you know you just got to say that because it's i know that that's like hard liquor silent film but it can be done you watch the shorter ones you can get through it maybe build a tolerance and you can watch the longer ones it's okay it's not that bad it's not that bad if you like reading a book you can watch a silent film i'll say that and that's all i got for recent activity on letterbox and so uh we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back All right, back. Who's this podcast for? Still Letterbox. Let's go to the most anticipated from Letterbox. I just wanted to look through some of these. Like I said, I had a few things written down that I wanted to do. I wanted to look through a few of these just to see if there was anything in it, you know, that would tickle my fancy. I'm sure it is because I'm excited for a lot of stuff coming out this year. Um, and some of this stuff, like I said, it might not come out this year, but we'll see, you know, and it's okay uh, if it is or isn't. We can still talk about this stuff. I do like talking about it. Heads up, I'm not a Marvel fan, so I'm going to skip the first one. Because <laughs> it's Thor, Love, and Thunder. I don't care. I know y'all going to see those. Whoever listens to this, you're probably going to see that anyway. I'm going to talk about some stuff that you might not know about. We'll start with one that I see on here called Don't Worry, Darling by Olivia Wilde. Coming out later on this year with Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, Chris Pine. Olivia Wilde is directing and starring. Kiki Lane, who I'm a big fan of. Nick Crow, Gemma Chan. A stacked movie about a housewife living in a utopian community in the California desert uncovers a disturbing truth about her seemingly perfect life. Um, You know. I think they dropped the trailer to this. It looked interesting. Kinda. Um, 
and they're saying it's like the Matrix and some other stuff. Okay, we'll see. I'm not the biggest fan of Olivia Wilde. I thought Booksmart was cool. I thought it was alright, you know, but we'll see. Not the most intrigued, but it's there. Nope. Jordan Peele, uh, director, 2022. What's a bad miracle? Residents in a lonely gulch of inland California bear witness to an uncanny chilling discovery. Now, this movie is Daniel Kaluuya, who I'm a big fan of. Kiki Palmer, big fan. Stephen Young, big fan. And it's Jordan Peele. Loved us. Loved Get Out. Loved us more than Get Out. And that's probably not popular, but I did. Um, and Nope looks interesting. Alien movie. That's that's tops. I think that's going to be very good. Summer feel, summer blockbuster type beat. Um, I'm here for that. Um, movie called Men, directed by Alex Garland. What haunts you will find you. In the aftermath of the personal tragedy, Harper retreats alone to the beautiful English countryside, hoping to find a place to heal. But someone or something from the surrounding woods appears to be stalking her. What begins a simmering dread becomes a fully formed nightmare inhabited by her darkest memories and fear. Now, this movie, uh, I was annoyed by. I was annoyed by the entire thing when I saw the trailer. And by the way, this movie, by the time you hear this, this movie, it, it either will be out already or it's about to come out. It's I'm recording this on a Wednesday on May the 18th. This movie is coming out, I think, this Friday. And I'm probably going to see it at some point this weekend. I will probably do a review on this next week at some point. So be prepared for that. I don't know what this movie's going to be. I'm ready to trash it because I hate the premise already. Uh, what if they came out with a movie called Woman? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it'd be responded. I don't know how people would respond to it, but I know how I'm responding to this. But it could surprise me. I'm st- I got an open mind. We'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Here's one I'm very excited for. Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese. We already spoke about him earlier. Depicts the serial murder of members of the oil, wealthy, Osage nation in 1920s Oklahoma. A string of brutal crimes that came to be known as the Reign of Terror. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Apple TV Plus, I wish it wasn't there, but it'll probably get a movie theater release too. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons, if you don't know him, you will soon. Brendan Fraser's making his comeback in more than one way this year. Lily Gladstone, you know, just an absolute, and it's Martin Scorsese, like, what can we say? This movie will be great. We get another Scorsese joint written by Eric Roth and David Grant. Um, Leo playing a bad guy, I think. This movie's going to be great. I don't really have too much to say about it. <laughs> um, I just think it's going to be fantastic. And I think we just have to, you know, we got to wait and see on it, man. But this could be a big Oscar contender. Uh, I know a lot of y'all, a lot of people don't care about the Oscars, but. This will be a big Oscar contender. I ain't got too much to say on that. That That's going to be amazing. Here's one I do have a little bit to say on. Greta Gerwig directed uh, Barbie. This says 2023, but we'll talk about it anyway. Margot Robbie as Barbie. Ryan Gosling as Ken. America Ferreira. Simu, Liu, Simu Lee from um, Shang-Chi. Kate McKinnon. Alexandra Ship, Emma McKay. Will Ferrell, Issa Rae, Michael Sarah, Kingsley Ben-Adir. This thing is packed, isn't it? A doll living in Barberland is expelled for not being perfect enough and sets off on an adventure in the real world. Well, I wasn't too intrigued in this because why would I? I'm a 25-year-old dude. Why would I care about Barbie, right? I didn't play with him growing up. I don't like Ken. But 
Here's what came out from the Twitter page, Film Days. Inspiration for Greta Gerwig's Barbie, based on Margot Robbie's Letterbox list. Speaking of Letterbox, and apparently the young girls of Rochefort, the umbrellas of Cherbourg, Splash, Puberty Blues, and The Truman Show. The Truman Show being potentially an inspiration for Barbie. That means we're going to get something of Barbie maybe realizing that she's not a toy but more of playing a toy in a real world and trying to break out of that simulation. Do we get simulation talk? Are we getting Barbie in an existential crisis? Greta Gerwig wrote and directed Little Women and Lady Bird. Lady Bird, I loved a lot. Little Women, I liked a lot. So I, I would say I'm uh, you know, a pretty good fan of hers. After reading that from Film Days on Twitter, I was intrigued. I can't lie. That got me into it. So Thing that's coming out next year, that's one to look out for. Nosferatu, Robert Eggers, just dropped a movie called The Northman. Go see it if you have not. Amazing movie. One of the two best movies I've seen this year. That and Everything Everywhere All at Once. That's a great movie. Go see that too if it's still in theaters. But uh, Nosferatu, a loose reimagining of F.W. Murnau's 1922 classic itself, a loose adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. This version will be set in the 1830s by the mere era in Baltic Germany and will be rooted in period authentic vampire lore. Give me Robert Eggers. If you've seen The Lighthouse, if you've seen The Witch, if you've seen The Northman, period authentic Robert Eggers movies don't miss. The Lighthouse, one of the best movies of this century, not just this decade, the century. Go watch that if you haven't. About two lighthouse keepers in like what's 18th, 19th century Maine or whatever. I'm not sure. But amazing movie. This sounds amazing. It keeps getting pushed because stuff keeps happening. It's supposed to have Anya Taylor-Joy. She's still the only one in it, I think, at this moment. Hairstyles have to drop. So the movie will be pushed again, and I hope not too long. This movie needs to happen. I need it now. Um, I'm into it. I'm into, all of, all, I'm into all things Robert Eggers. That's pretty much it. Move on. Avatar The Way of the Water. I don't have much to say. James Cameron. Director Alien, so he has that going for him. And The Abyss and other things. This, yeah, and Titanic, yeah, gotta remember that one. This eh, wasn't wasn't too big on the first one, but I might go see it just because you know I like going to the movies. Doing part two, Denis Villeneuve coming out in twenty twenty three. Go watch the first part, uh, Doom part one. That's a great Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Ryan Coogler finally returns. Finally, um, I wish he'd make more stuff for adults and not kids. But hey, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Babylon, this is the one. Damien Chazelle, he directed La La Land and Whiplash and First Man. Set in Hollywood during the transition from silent films to talkies, focusing on a mixture of historical and fictional characters. Uh, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Diego Calva, Tobey Maguire, uh, Yovana Depo, Gene Smart, Catherine Waterston, Flea, Samara Weaving. Packed movie. Olivia Wilde, she comes up again. Spike Jones. He can act and direct. He, he's a jack of all trades. And listen to this about this movie. This is intriguing. Also, inspiration from Film Days on Twitter. Check them out. Also, inspiration for Damien Chazelle's Babylon based on Margot Robbie's Letterboxd because she's in Barbie and this. The Passion of Joan of Arc. Claire Bow and the Wild Party. Claire Bow and Call Her Savage. Dancing Mothers and Safety. Safety Last. I think Margot Robbie's playing Clara Bow in this movie. 
So that makes sense that she's watching Claire Bow movies because she wants to get into character. But all of those things, just all of those movies right there, just make me incredibly interested. Um, incredibly interested. Uh, they got a Harold Lloyd movie. Um, from 1923 as inspiration, the Passion of Joan of Arc. That's interesting. Like, and and I know this is setting back in the day, so that makes sense that you're going back to 20s movies. But the Passion of Joan of Arc is very surreal, very interesting, very different for a, you know, and, and it's a silent film as well, 1929. That's interesting. So I, I look, um, the word on this movie by the people, by the few people who've seen it, is that. It's a masterpiece. It's different. It's singular. It's Margot Robbie's getting the Oscar. And that all might be true. It's coming out that Christmas Day of 2022. I'm as excited for this as anything. It's my most anticipated. We shall see. Um, a few more here before I move on. Let me get to something else. Cause we got a few big ones in here. John Wick Chapter 4. And eh, here's one. By the way, before I say this one, Cannes Film Festival, the first big film festival of the of the season, is happening right now. It started yesterday. It's happening right now in Cannes in France. I think Cannes is in France. I'm looking up everything today because I don't want to sound stupid on my first episode. And I probably already have. Yes, Cannes is in France. Well, I need to look that up. I don't know. Crimes of the Future, David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg, somebody I just found like three months ago. My brother had been talking about him. I didn't want to listen because I don't listen to him. I listen to myself and other people, not him first. The Fly, classic. Um, I have Crash on Criterion. Have not watched it yet. I have Videodrome on Criterion. Have not watched it yet. Let's go to the stuff I have watched. Dead Ringers, classic. Amazing movie. Um, History of Violence, I heard, is great. Eastern Promises, I heard, is great. Scanners is really good. Cosmopolis, I heard, is great. Like I said, Dead Ringers is a classic. Naked Lunch, I've heard, is great. Maps to the Stars, I've heard, is great. The Brood. Rabbit. This dude makes the body horror, but The Fly is probably my favorite so far. Um, just a wonderful movie with um, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Uh, 1987. Go watch it if you haven't. The Fly. Hour and hour and a half. Great movie. But Crimes of the Future is his new one that's coming out at Cannes. Literally, Cannes is happening today. It's going on for like what two weeks or so, maybe a week and a half, something like that. As the human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body undergoes new transformations and mutations. With his partner Caprice, Saul Tenzer, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs and avant-garde performances. Timlin, an investigator from the National Organ Registry, obsessively tracks their movements, which is when a mysterious group is revealed. Their mission to use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. The trailer already came out, and this has Viggo Mortensen from Lord of the Rings, amongst other things. Leia Sadu from um, one of my favorite movies of last year, The French Dispatch, Wes Anderson. Kristen Stewart, who was in Spencer last year. I didn't like it as much as others, but, you know, whatever. Um, this movie sounds crazy. And it's coming out in June. We don't have to wait long. This is one of my most anticipated. Crimes of the Future, David Cronenberg. It's coming. Go watch the trailer if you haven't. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Eh, I might see it just because. I'm not into, the, I'm not into it, but, you know. 
I'll see it just because. It's it's gonna be out, so why not? The Flash. Don't care. Knives out too. Ryan Johnson. Master Detective Benoit Blanc is taking on a new murder case. 2019, Knives Out made $100 million worldwide. The movie was a hit. It was a wholly original idea. We don't have a lot of those anymore that actually make money. And Knives Out 2 is going to Netflix. Why? I don't know, but it is. I needed to get in the theaters, 45-day window, Netflix that they might start doing because they're falling, and I love seeing it. I want them to fail. But anyway, um, if we can get Knives Out 2 in the theaters, I'm there first day. The first one was great. Ryan Johnson is a great director. The Last Jedi is great. Sorry, not sorry. I'm just saying that to piss people off if they're listening to this. I hope somebody does listen to this because and you love that and you love The Last Jedi because I think that'd be funny. I mean, or you hate it and then you heard me say I love it. My brother does love it though. You can debate him. Um, now it's out too, obviously. Oppenheimer, this is a big one. 2023. It's not going out this year, next year. The story of J. Robert Oppenheimer's role in the development of the atomic bomb during World War II. Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Florence Pugh, Benny Safdie, one of the one of the Safdie brothers, my guys, Josh Hartnett, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh. This movie's packed. Jason Clark. Movie is stacked. Alex Wolf. Gary Oldman. Casey Affleck. And Christopher Nolan is the director. What do you not know about Christopher Nolan? The Dark Knight, The Prestige, Insomnia, Following, Memento. You know, all of his hits. I just named the movies that most people probably don't know and The Dark Knight trilogy. But he's absolutely wonderful. Um, Tenet, I didn't, you know, care for. Interstellar, haven't seen it, but I've seen clips and eh, don't look like it's my bag. Dunkirk, great. He, he learned to just stop writing dialogue in that movie and just do set pieces and that's why that movie works inception i love i love the dark knight trilogy um i have to see more of his work intended i did not i was not a fan of um i don't mind a movie being i don't mind i I don't get bogged down by plot stuff i don't care about plot but i do mind if i can't hear the character speaking i think that's a problem and that was a problem with tenant so can't have that um but i'm excited for oppenheimer that sounds great that cast you can't beat that you really can't um so that's a lot man that's a lot and i'm excited for that one next year though Lightyear, um buzz Lightyear movie i'm into it uh probably see it just to see it I don't think it's, um, you, know, it, it, you know, it is what it is. Not the biggest Toy Story fan right here, but I'll watch that, I guess. I'll watch anything in a theater if you haven't noticed. Bullet Train. They moved this back to August 5th, a day before my birthday. So for my 26th birthday, I will go see Bullet Train and have a great time. Here's what you need to know. Get on board. Five assassins find themselves on a fast-moving bullet train from Tokyo to Morioka. With only a few stops in between, they discover their missions are not unrelated to one another. The question becomes, who will make it off the train alive and what awaits them at the terminal station? Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Joey King, Brian Tyree Henry from from Atlanta, Michael Shannon, Bad Bunny, Zazie Beats from Atlanta, Sandra Bullock, Logan Lerman, amongst others, directed by David Leach. This is going to be a fun action movie. 
Brad Pitt, ever since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's my guy. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, probably my favorite or second. Probably tied with first favorite movie of 2019. Also one of the best movies of the decade. Um, Absolutely love that. Love that movie. And ever since Brad Pitt won an Oscar for that, for Best Supporting Actor, changed my entire outlook on him. I want to dive into his career. I haven't watched a lot of his stuff, but I love Seven and stuff like that. So, And he was good in The Lost City movie I saw earlier this year with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. I, I would have liked him to be in a movie more, but, you know. But, yeah, Bullet Train, it's going to be good fun for my birthday. So, there you have it. Uh, Blonde by Andrew Dominic, a fictionalized chronicle of the inner life of Marilyn Monroe. Anna DeArmas, Adrian Brody, Bobby Cannavale playing Joe DiMaggio. That's going to be interesting. Scoot McNary making a comeback. Um, All the word on this movie is that it's for lack of a better term, it's messed up. And I'm into that. So, can't wait. It got an NC-17 rating from Netflix. Wish it wasn't on Netflix because I want them to fail. But this movie is sounds insane by all accounts. Uh, Andrew Dominic said it's like Citizen Kane for the modern day. If you don't know, Orson Welles, most people consider best movie of all time. At least it's a classic. Seminal classic. Uh, if it's anything like that, then we in for a treat. So, Blonde, it's coming. Disappointment Boulevard by Ari Aster, made hereditary. An intimate, decade-spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Ryan. Stephen McKinley Henderson, he's a great actor. Marco Gandolfini. Got a little Tony Soprano. Yeah, um, we'll see. I don't know much about it, but we'll see. My year of rest and relaxation, Yorgos Lanthimos. Bored with her seemingly meaningless life, a young woman escalates her use of prescription drugs so she can sleep through the whole year. From him, he's a great director, I would tell you to watch Killing of the Sacred Deer. And I need to watch The Lobster and Dog Tooth and the rest of his stuff. But Killing of the Sacred Deer is phenomenal. Uh, I don't know much about this. I don't think they do either because there's not much about it. But that's interesting. He has a movie coming out this year called Poor Things with Emma Stone and Willem Dafoe. So be on the lookout for that. And Elvis, that's going to be a can too, which is going on right now. Go to Twitter or wherever you get your news. Go look up Can Film Festival and keep up with everything going on. Let's watch some more flicks this year. Uh, Baz Luhrmann, he did The Great Gatsby with Leo. This is Elvis Presley biopic with Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker. Austin Butler's Elvis Presley. Kevin Harrison Jr., my guy's B.B. King. That's a good look for him. I'm happy for him. We'll see. You know, whatever. Decision to Leave is another movie from can uh, Park Chan Wook, great, great, great Korean director. Uh, about a detective investigating the death of a man. Soon he begins to suspect the the deceased wife while being unsettled by his attraction to her. That's right, Amalek. We can get into that. The killer, David Fincher, May Seven, May Fight Club, May Panic Room, May Benjamin Button. You know all the classics he made. Gone girl. The killer with um Michael Fassbender as the killer, Tilda Swin, amongst others. Men to that. It's about a killer. A man solitary and solitary and cold, methodical and unencumbered. And he waits in the shadows, waiting for his next target. He's losing his mind. A brutal, bloody, and stylish noir story of a professional assassin lost in the world without a moral compass. This is a case study of a man alone, armed to the teeth, and slowly losing his mind. I'm into it. 
I don't know when it's coming out, but I'm into it. Probably next year. But I'm into it. And we'll finish off right here. Halloween ends. Speaking of the end of this list and Halloween ends, David Gordon Green, 2022. Four years after the traumatic events of Halloween in 2018, the nightmare ends as Laurie Strode comes face-to-face with Michael Myers once and for all. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. You know, we're just going to finish it. That's, you know. You can't kill him. He couldn't die in the last week. not dying in this one. I don't know. I think they're going to kill each other. And then that just how, that's going to be how that ends. And that's it. That's the uh, end of the letterbox portion of this episode. And now we will head to the very last section, if you will. Please give me one moment. We're back. So, to finish this off, like I said, we might do a little bit of film festival talk. Can is happening right now. And I named some of those movies that were at Can. Uh, you probably won't know a lot of them. I probably won't know a lot of them. But uh, I could at least tell you what my favorite film festivals are. What the major ones are. Because film festivals happen all over the country. And they happen in all different areas. But there are... A few that are the big ones. So you got Sundance Film Festival. That kind of starts the year off. Berlin Film Festival. Toronto International Film Festival, otherwise known as TIFF. South by Southwest Film Festival. Cannes, which is happening right now. Tribeca. Telluride Film Film Festival. Venice Film Festival. International Film Festival of India. Austin. Edinburgh International. Venice. Atlanta Film Festival. Hong Kong. BFI London. New York Film Festival. So here are my favorites. Sundance, Toronto International, or TIFF, uh, Venice, Cannes, um, New York Film Festival, and that's probably it. I mean, I, I love any film, I love any festival where you know movies are shown, and I want to go to one badly. My friends and my brother went to one in Oxford not too long ago. It's exciting for them, not for me, but I was happy for them. But here are the big three. The most prestigious film festivals in the world are known as the big three. At least chronologically, according to the Data Foundation, Venice, Cannes, and Berlin. Berlin Film Festival. The most prestigious film festivals in North America are Sundance and Toronto, or TIFF. So, I think that's interesting. Um, and that's kind of just like a little guide to all of them. Again, some movies are shown at some, some aren't. Most movies, if they want a lot of traction, they're shown at a myriad of them. But if the movie's not out yet by the time, like, for instance, uh, we talked about David Cronenberg's um, Crimes of the Future, I think is the name. I don't know why I couldn't remember. Yeah, Crimes of the Future. It's showing at Cannes, but then it's coming out not too soon after. So, or soon after, rather. So, they don't really have a lot of time to kind of delve into, you know, a lot of the other stuff, right? Or, or go to a lot of the other film festivals. Because it's coming out of the theater, so after that, it's done. It could have went to Sundance, could have went to South by Southwest, but I think they were purposely waiting on Cannes to get the biggest audience worldwide because Cannes is the biggest, probably, next to Berlin and what was the other one? Venice, I said? Yeah. And then you got Sundance in Toronto. Sundance is huge, too. Uh, and TIFF is very big uh, internationally. But Cannes is the big one, and it's coming out there. I just thought that was interesting. So I do want to run down the official 
the films are the official selection of 2022. So if you don't know about Cannes, they have movies in competition and out. If your movie is in competition, that means it can win prizes, like jury prize at the end, like Palm Dior, which is like the movie of Cannes. And the director's prize and the writer's prize and the Grand Prix, which is like the second place or third place, you, you know, on and on and so forth. What makes a movie get in and out of competition? I think it's just if Can allows it to. For example, they won't allow most Netflix movies or all Netflix movies in competition because they don't believe in the streaming thing as a avenue or medium for cinema. So they will let Netflix movies and streaming movies come into their festival, obviously, but they'll be out of competition. Well, there'll be an other section. So let's run this down. In competition, opening film is Michael Michelle Hazanovich's Out of Competition Final Cut. That's the movie. Um, it, it's opening in the film festival, but it's out of competition. Now everything else is in competition. Ali Abbasi, Holy Spider, Valeria Bruni, Tedeschi, Forever Young. By the way, a lot of these people are unknown because they make a lot of movies elsewhere, not just in America, not just in Hollywood. So you might not know them. I don't know a lot of these either, but I just thought this was interesting. David Cronenberg, Crimes of the Future. We talked about him. Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardin, Tori and Lokita. Claire Denise, Stars of the Noon. That's a big name. That's an American name. Um, actually, that's not an American. Is it an American name? I'm going to look it up. I don't want to be wrong because... She's French, but she has a lot of movies that come out of A24 in different places. So she's very much of the American film, you know, scene. She's just not an American filmmaker. So my apologies to her. Arnaud Despletchen, brother and sister. Lucas Donk, close. Kore- Horikazu Corietta, broker. That's a big one. We know that name. He made uh, Shoplifters, I believe. Yes. Mario Marton, Nostalgia, Christian Mungui, RMN, Ruben Oslin, Triangle of Sadness. They say he's a big name. Uh, I haven't seen his stuff, but I have heard that he, you know, his movies are very well done. Park Chan Wook, Decision of Lee. We discussed that one. Kelly Rockart showing up, American filmmaker. Very big, very big over here. I'm going to check it again because I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm not trying to get canceled out this week. Uh, she's American. Yes. And what was that movie though? Shoplifters by Hirokazu Koreeda. Yeah, that was the big one. And he's coming back with Broker. So that's exciting. Let's see. This, and this is all still in competition, by the way. Saeed Rouste, Layla's brother, Tariq Sella, Boy from Heaven, Kirill Serebrenikov, Zina Chakaskovko. I butchered that. Albert Sarah Pacifiction. Leonora Sorrell, Mother and Son, Jersey, Skolomowski, Eo, and then Charlotte Vandermersch and Felix Van Groeningen, Lee Otto Montan. Excuse me for butchering their names. Sorry. Uh, then you have other sections that I won't go into, like un- In Certain Regard, which is another section. Out of competition, like I've named, you have some like Top Gun Maverick which is coming out later this summer by Joseph Kaczynski Elvis, which we talked about, Baz Luhrmann, uh, George Miller, 3,000 Years of Longing. They're dropping a trailer for that Friday at the time of this recording. So in two days, a teaser came out earlier today. It looked amazing. So I'm very excited on that. That wasn't on my list earlier, but a lot of movies, you know, missed just by me not knowing or me not knowing when they're coming out or just forgetting. That's a movie, 3,000 Years of Longing. George Miller, by the way, made Mad Max Fury Road. So... He's one to look out. This is the first movie in a long time. So, And then Louis Guerrero, a little innocent, out of competition. Do you have midnight screenings? 
Quinn Dupuy, Smoking Causes Coughing, Lee John J. Hunt. That's his first film. I guess that can. DF Cam premieres, Olivia Sias, Irma Vip. I don't even think all of these are movies. Some of these might be shows because Irma Vip trailer just dropped, and that's an HBO Max show. So Olivia Sias made a movie back in the 90s called Irma Vip. So uh, he's making a TV show about it now. So then you have special screening. These are like, um, you know, documentaries. Ethan Cohen, one half of the Corn Brothers, we were talking about him earlier with. Um, no Country for Old Men. Jerry Lee Lewis, Trouble in the Mind. I do believe that's a, a documentary. So, But yeah, you have Cinema de la Plage. Uh, oh, wow. Not even sure what a section this is. But I'm going to look this up right now because I'm seeing Peter Ware, The Truman Show, Rob Reiner, This is Spinal Tap, Christopher Gann, Brotherhood of the Wolf, First Four Couple of The Godfather, Baz Luhrmann, Strictly Ballroom, Steven Spielberg, E.T., Peter Bogdanovich, The Last Picture Show, rest in peace to Peter Bogdanovich. We're going to do an episode on him when I watch more of his stuff because he died, I think, late last year. And I want to see What's Up, Doc, and The Last Picture Show, and Paper Moon, all of his great stuff. But let me go look up Cinema de la Plage because I'm not sure what section that is. I took French. It was a long time ago, okay? You know, I don't remember all of it. But uh, Cinema de la Plage can... Let's see what this is. Okay. So Cannes Festival, this is from Variety article. Cannes Film Festival unveils Cinema de la Plage lineup. Cannes Festival, uh, Cinema de la Plage section, which launched last year. Okay. With the mix of restored classics, cult films, and premieres open to all audiences, the Cinema de la Plage will take place on the beach every evening. Da, 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 da. Program which runs alongside the official selection will celebrate the 50th anniversary of Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, 40th anniversary of Steven Spielberg's E.T., as well as Peter Ware's The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, Saved by School, Socially Minded, Tom Lincoln Director. Okay, so basically, Cinema de la Plage section is it's a mix of restored classics, cult films, and premieres. Okay, that's exciting. It's very exciting because I saw these great movies from the past. I like The Godfather. Truman Show, Spinal Tap. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? What is happening? The Last Picture Show, E.T. Um, fun fact, I saw The Godfather in theaters not too long ago because of the 50th anniversary. They were re-showing it at the AMC here where I live, and I went, and it was just like me and like four other people. And it was a grand time. I had never seen it in completion. Saw it. I want to see The Godfather 2. I have the whole trilogy on Blu-ray. I might just wait in two years when 1974... 2024, when that 50th anniversary shows up, 84, 94, 240, yeah, 50 years. I might wait until 2024 to see Godfather Part 2 in theaters. I believe they're going to do it. They're going to put them back in theaters. I might wait then. It's something about seeing the Godfather in theaters. It made that experience all the more joyful for me. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't seen it in theater, that's uh, too bad for you. So, that's it on the film festival stuff. That's it on the can stuff. And to wrap this up, my first episode of Who's This Podcast For? Who's This Podcast For? Sports Talk. Putting the phone down because I think I can just kind of wing this one right now. Um, Actually, picking the phone back up because I need to go to the NFL offseason. So the NFL offseason for the next season just happened, and it was insane. Um, Just to let you know, a little backstory about sports. I love sports. I love boxing and football, basketball. Basketball used to be my favorite sport. I want to play in the NBA. Then I realized they're not going to let short, big people play in the NFL. 
even if I wasn't short or big, you still not getting in the NFL. So, I mean NBA. My bad. You're not getting in the NBA. But uh, I still played like I was getting out. Like I was convinced I'm getting in the NBA. But no, you're not. But um, I love basketball. I love football. Love boxing. I love base. I'm getting into baseball right now. I've been watching this season. Shohei Otani is a dog. Um, I don't even have a baseball team. I just kind of watch everybody. But NFL, my team is the Green Bay Packers. If Aaron Rodgers left the Green Bay Packers, they wouldn't have been my team anymore. So maybe I'm an Aaron Rodgers guy, and that's just it. I wish he won more. The last playoffs were atrocious for us. It sucks, but we running it back. Here's the thing. In the offseason, Devontae Adams didn't want to sign his extension, so they traded him to the Raiders so he could play with his once college quarterback, Derek Carr, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Las Vegas Raiders, by the way, one of my like secondary teams who I root for. So I'm still rooting for them and Devontae Adams, even though he left my team. He's going to another one of my teams, so that's exciting. Um, Yeah. People think that we're going to go down in terms of how good we're going to be. You know, I think we're going to win at least 12 games this year. At least 12 games. It's still Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, when Devontae Adams was out, Aaron Rodgers still played great, and the team almost always still won. So maybe it's better that he doesn't have Devontae Adams anymore so he can actually spread the ball around and make an unpredictable offense that the team does not know who and when to cover because it's going to so many different receivers, a la Tom Brady. Makes it hard to defend when you don't know who's getting the ball next. But when you can key in on one person, even when they're triple covered and you're still trying to throw to them, that's making it harder on the entire team and you. So maybe this will help Aaron Rodgers. I think it will. We still have great receivers. Robert Tunyon's a great um, – tight end up and coming uh alan lazard he's really good and he was open in that play against the 49ers in the playoffs and aaron Rodgers missed him trying to get to Devontae adams maybe he could make up for that this year and make lazard our number one where we just have a revolving door of number ones we did lose marquez valdez scanlon but he's a speed demon who really couldn't catch or stay healthy that much so and we drafted some guys in a uh draft so you know we'll see and far as the nba playoffs go I'm a Kawhi Leonard fan. think when he's healthy, he's the best get-a-bucket-get-a-stop guy out there, best defender, best playmaker in the playoffs. He ups his game just like Jimmy Butler did last night in the round one of the in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm a Kawhi Leonard fan. Um, Michael Jordan's the best player ever. Just know that. He's my favorite athlete of all time. Go back and watch his games often. He's amazing still today. <laughs> and he's I've been playing for 20 years. Still amazing, better than everybody else. But Kawhi Leonard's my guy. I hope the Clippers have a great season next year with everybody healthy. I think that'll be really good and special. Um, as far as these playoffs go, I'm rooting for the Heat and the Warriors because I don't like Luka Doncic and I don't like the Celtics. I want them both to lose. Sorry, not sorry. Is what it is. Now, to wrap this up, let's go to the NFL offseason, which was maybe the most impactful offseason ever. And this is from NFL.com, 2022 NFL Free Agency Tracker. Latest signings, trades, contracts, info for all 32 teams. Um, actually, I don't want this. Most impactful moves in 2012 season goals for all 32 NFL teams. Offseason moves. Let's see here. Let's see here. I'm having trouble finding it. March 16th, we're going to make a trade. Most impactful moves. Okay, here we go. Most impactful moves. This is from ESPN.com. 
This was published on March 24th, 2022. With 2022 NFL free agency winding down, we're looking back on what transpired. So, that, so there you go. Uh, number of significant free agent signings, left tackle Teron Armstead to the Miami Dolphins. Von Miller, off of winning his second Super Bowl, signed to the Buffalo Bills. Wide receiver Allen Robinson, the second to the Los Angeles Rams. Randy Gregory to the Denver Broncos. Uh, Deshaun Watson went to Cleveland. That's exciting because all they needed was a quarterback who was in Baker Mayfield, who I like. But Deshaun Watson's better at every statistical way. So he they're going to get that team to the playoffs. I predict maybe even the AFC, the, um, the AFC championship game. We'll see, though. Uh, Russell Wilson to Denver. That was the biggest splash of the offseason. Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. Carson Wentz to Washington. Devontae Adams and Tyreek Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins. Devontae Adams to the Ra- to the Raiders. Like I said, um, Tyron Matthew going to New Orleans now. Jadavion Clowney. I'm not sure where he went. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to touch on some of that. And talk about my teams. Look. The Green Bay Packers, man, we're in a bad division. We're going to feast that bad division. The Bears might be better under another year with, um, what's the kid's name? Who's the Chicago Bears quarterback? Uh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now. I can't even think. Justin Fields. They're going to be better. I'm not worried about <laughs> the Vikings. They're just a mess. We needed to get Justin Jefferson too. I would have loved to get them from get him from them in some way. I would love that to pair him with Aaron Rodgers. Um, not worried about the Lions. Not worried about the Vikings. Not worried about the Bears. Even though I think the Bears could be the second best team in the NFC North, but we're still going to win that division. We're still going to get to the to the playoffs. I think Aaron could have a great, great, um, you know, season. He could win another MVP. He already won back to back. I can see him doing it again. He played so great in the regular season. We just need him to transition that over to the playoffs so we can get another Super Bowl MVP for Aaron. They need to establish one of the top five quarterbacks of all time. The stats and everything else will bear that out. Um, I think that's it. We're going to have a great season, NFL. And NBA, um, go Heat. <laughs> go Warriors. Beat both of them, please. And then we can get a finals where nobody cares. Well, I think they'll care. If, if I think people will care to see Steph win another one. Because then he'll have four and maybe a finals MVP. And then you talking about him and LeBron. Like, oh, it's just the finals MVP because LeBron has four and Steph has one. I don't like LeBron. I think he's overrated. I know he's one of the best players, top ten players of all time. He's more like six instead of two or one and three. And people just overrate him. And I think that's a big discrepancy from six to one in terms of the ten best players of all time. I wouldn't put Hakeem Olajuwon at one, even though he's like six or seven or eight. You know, that's a big discrepancy. Tim Duncan's like five. I think people putting him at like 12 is terrible. And then rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, he's more like him in the top 15. Sorry. That's kind of where I put him. Um, That's all I have written down today. I think we went through all of it. Um, Didn't have a script or anything. It's just kind of all over the place. Hope the noise didn't show up too much, but, you know, it is what it is. Next time I'll pick a day when somebody's not cutting grass right outside my door. I feel like they're in the house. But hopefully you didn't hear any of that. Um, it's been great. Thank you for listening, whoever it is. Um, we'll be back soon. The second episode on what? I don't know. Because I don't know who this podcast is for. Who's this podcast for? I don't know. I can't tell you. But 
Um, we'll figure that out. So that's all I got for you. Um, see you when I see you. And peace out.